Man, I'm having so much fun. This is a $1.6 trillion industry. I'm talking about the food and beverage space. If you're not having fun, you're in the wrong place. Yes, it's hard work, but my gosh, the companies, the brands, the flavors, the experiences, the missions, it's fantastic. But some of the brands are different, better, and special. They're the ones who are able to really compete and vie for customer loyalty. Look, I know you want to make your brand different, better, and special. I know you yourself want to be different, better, and special. That's my mission. That's why you're here. Join me on this journey as I interview CEOs and founders from all the different companies within the food and beverage industry so we can discover what they're doing, so we can take that information back, digest it, and become better ourselves and to help our companies take on different strategies, pick the right technology, pick the right partners. And of course, you got to have great tasting food. You got to have great tasting beverages, packaged goods. If it doesn't taste good, you're lost. I'm sorry. You're going to lose millions. If you're new here, take the five episode challenge. Go back, pick out some brands and CEOs, some topics. If you love the content, subscribe. You're going to find it on every podcast platform once or twice a week. But I also publish them on LinkedIn because that's where we kind of hang out. So when you see it on LinkedIn, stop by, make a comment, share it back into your food and beverage network. I would appreciate it. The brands would appreciate it. To all my loyal listeners, thank you so much. You guys are awesome. Thank you for being with me on this journey. Thanks for coming along on this mission for the past two years. If you are considering a strategic job change, message me. Let's have a confidential conversation. If your brand is growing and you need to attract experts, you also need to contact me because I have created a different, better, and special recruiting system. I promise you, no other search firm in America is doing that. Who am I? I'm Tony Moore. I'm an expert food and beverage headhunter, semi-professional podcaster, and I'm here each and every week Stay tuned for this week's episode. Welcome to Winning at Work. This is Tony. And, you know, I used to travel to California once every year for a couple of weeks. There was a seminar that I would go to and I loved all the new restaurants. And there's a whole different category of food and restaurants on the West Coast. And recently I discovered uh, I, I don't want to say a trending restaurant because th- this is more than that. It's more than a trending restaurant. This is an organization that has over 180 locations. They've got 150 roughly in development, and they're throughout 22 states. And by the way, Steve, I'm looking forward to when we do open up Georgia. <laughs> Me too. I know. You're getting close. You're getting close. We're, we're you're, yeah, we'll be there shortly. You're dancing around. I know. That's we need to. We need to go ahead and just – Come on into Georgia. Um, and I, I'm really pleased to um, welcome in Steve Schultz today. He's the CEO of Nectar Juice Bar. And we've got a lot of things that we want to talk about within the restaurant space, trends, but particularly he's got a unique strategy how he goes about franchising. And that's a, a very important topic for many entrepreneurs that are trying to expand their mission, their purpose. Do they do, they do it with company-owned stores? Do it would they rather do it through the franchise model? So we have a lot of interesting things to talk about. Steve, welcome into Winning at Work today, sir. Tony, appreciate it. Looking forward to our conversation and uh, 
and all's good on our end. So I, I would say all is well on your end with 180 locations. In fact, uh, we were just kind of joking around getting all of our tech issues sorted out. But uh, for a man with 180 locations, you've got a, uh, a full head of hair. I would imagine that would uh, <laughs> put a lot of pressure and stress on a CEO. Well, you know, surprisingly, I don't think it does. We've, you know, it, you know, Nectar's been a success, and and I'm not so sure it's me as much as it is that our is our team. I think that the, you know, the team that we've assembled. I'm not a micromanager. I give them a lot of responsibilities and a lot of runway. Uh, I trust them implicitly, and I'm there usually for the global view and for the vision and things of that nature. That doesn't mean I don't stress because I do, and that doesn't mean I don't push because I do push hard, and uh, I'm not one of those you know pat on your back, warm kind of guys sometimes. Um, but I do think that, uh, you know, culture, camaraderie, teamwork, the journey of the folks and uh, everybody that's been here together is, uh, is what's made Nectar special, you know, for me and, uh, and Alexis and others. Well, I, listen, you really touched on something there because um, we've had this conversation before. We don't get into it uh, as a regular topic, but culture does eat strategy for breakfast. If you've got the right people, the right mission and the right vibe, then you can really overcome a lot of issues. And you guys are growing. You're, you definitely, I mean, there, there's obviously something that that's working. And I would love to dig into that a little bit more. But before we do, tell me a little bit about just the origin story. How did this come about? Why, uh, you know, why Nectar and, and, and why start it the way you did? You know, the way the impetus uh, behind Nectar, you know, was really a simple idea. The idea was that, you know, back, you know, in 2008, 9, 10, you know, we were looking at, you know, the, this category, the juice space, you know, sometimes I go work out, you know, and run 40 minutes and, you know, get a smoothie. And six months later, I still weigh the same and I couldn't really figure it out. <laughs> you know, it, it didn't make sense. And one day I was at uh, one of the legacy brands and I opened up and looked at the nutritional deal on it. And sure enough, I had more calories, more sugar, more carbs than I'd lost in my entire <laughs> Then you burned off in the 40 minutes you were on the treadmill, right? Yes. Yeah. And so I think what happened was I think that, you know, you know, whether it be the Jamba Juices of the world or whomever, I think they started with great authenticity when they first started, you know, 30, 40 years ago or whenever it was. And I think like a lot of companies, they went down that slippery slope. And so the idea that uh, Alexis and I had was to reinvent the juice space the way that Starbucks reinvented the coffee experience. And it was my belief that we needed to get rid of fillers, get rid of the sugars, the crap, the ice cream, the yogurts. Uh, all the, that hidden, you know, the fat and all the unnecessary sugars. Oh, it's, it was awful. What was going in those drinks was awful. Uh, simultaneously, you did have the alternative of things like the organic juice bars and some of these, you know, alternative markets like a mother's market that sold juices. But to me, those were very intimidating. And I visualized going in there and having like a carrot juice and having to choke it down or a wheatgrass shot or something. You know, so... <laughs> So when we looked at it, uh, you know, she and I are not big, Alexis and I are not uh, big fans of huge menus. You know, um, we like things very simple, more like In-N-Out Burger and such. You know, it's amazing. Oh, I love In-N-Out. It's, it's the best. And so what we did is we came up with uh, three categories, juices, smoothies, bowls. We had six juices, six smoothies, four bowls. And, uh, you know, I was tasked with, you know, basically running the company and getting up and started and, and uh, Alexis with, you know, formulating the drinks. And, um, you know, and I think that's where the real magic happened in the sense of our goal was to make it affordable, make it accessible, make it authentic, make it real. 
And again, not like letting process stuff through the doors. And again, our, our juices obviously are pure and you know, whole fresh juices delivered daily. Our smoothies have uh, house-made nut milk in them. Uh, house-made nut milk and coconut water is only the two things we allow. And then we have uh, organic acai that uh, that makes the bowls. And, you know... Um, That's uh, a very popular super fruit right now, acai. Yeah, there's a category that's gone up quite a bit, and uh, and our bowls, I think, are, are great. And, uh, you know, we're the first per- people to put it on the menu as a main category item, you know, back then. And, uh, you know, and it's funny because we started Nectar. It's 900-square-foot location. It was a former Starbucks. Um, they had left over some, you know, some equipment in there. And I called the landlord and asked to buy the equipment for 5000 bucks, And he's like, okay, you know. And then I talked to a buddy of mine who actually was over last night who uh, was an architect, who's a, a landscape architect, not necessarily architect. I said, hey, I'm thinking about doing this store. Can you design something up for me? And, you know, he didn't know anything about retail. And frankly, I had never been in the retail space. I'd never been in the restaurant space, never been in the franchise space. You know, neither had Alexis. And um, But he drew it up, and we looked at this literally as sort of a side project. We thought it was good for the community. We thought it was good for us. And we invested about $50,000 to open up that first store. Uh, and today we'll finish the year at a little over $125 million in sales. So, um, yeah, that's incredible. So it's that good. is a incredible. And I was noticing too, you've got a pretty good, um, revenue target for your, uh, franchisees too. I noticed that it's one of the highest in the industry too. So it's, it's definitely coming down to the bottom line too, for your, um, for your operators. Well, that's the only way you, you know, you've got, if people don't put the franchisee first, I think they're, you know, they're crazy. And, uh, you know, people have to understand that's, you know, that's who your real guest is. You've got, you know, for us, we treat, you know, our goal is treat one guest at a time. When the very first guest came in, if they could walk in the store, walk out in a better mood than they walked in. And if we manage the finance, okay. And there were a few bucks left over at the end of the day, we did a good job. If they walked out in a bad mood, you know, we didn't really deserve any money. And so we view the franchise partners and the guests the same ways. You've got to treat them with uh, respect, with integrity, uh, try and understand what their needs are and try and meet them. And I think that uh, if everybody on your team is in sync and the culture is correct, and you can't just buy culture, you can't just invent culture, you can't just write down this is what culture, just like branding. People say, oh, I'm going to build a brand. You know, if everybody could be Nike, they would be. But you can't do just let's do it. You know, it's, it's, it's much deeper and much more than that. So. Yeah, well, I think what I, I I really like about the the brand that you're building, I was looking kind of do a little bit more of a deep dive beyond the bowls and the superfood smoothies. You've got these grab and go bottles, which I think are uh, so necessary now for that uh, quick. It's even quicker, right? You just come in and get exactly what you want. You got the wellness shot. You've got the juice cleanser. You're really covering wellness really across the board. So you're really meeting the consumer pretty much where they're at. So I'm sure that's evolved since 2010 and then 2012 when you started your, your franchise uh, aspirations. You know, not only that, Tony, but, you know, the time of the podcast is, uh, is, is ideal here in the sense of, you know, in 2010, as I had stated a moment ago, that our goal was to reinvent the juice space the way, you know, Starbucks reinvent the coffee experience. Um, and our goal this year when we started 2022 was to reinvent the food experience within the juice and food and category, uh, within the juice and smoothie category. And what I mean by that is if you go to, again, some of these legacy brands you're in the airport, you're going to see a sausage and egg McMuffin, a soft pretzel, a, you know, I don't know about you, but... Carb bomb. 
<laughs> if I, yeah, if I go to my nutritionalist, I don't think that's the first thing they're going to ask. No, I have breakfast no. every day. And so uh, it was our idea that that space and that category need to be reinvented. People are on the go, so we wanted to make it a grab-and-go category. We want it to be functional, uh, meaning you know, proteins, calories, depending on what people needed, snacks. And so uh, we've been working for about uh, six, eight months on it. We'll be releasing it starting in January. It'll be fully evolved uh, over the next few months. But basically, the entire uh, uh, concept behind it is that we'll be dropping the name Juice Bar from Nectar. And Nectar will be juice, smoothies, and grab-and-go foods that are functional, that provide a purpose, uh, that can get you through the day. And, um, and it's, uh, it's an exciting time for us to evolve once again. Well, you're right on track with the, with the functional. I've got a friend who wants to get into the food business, and I said, if, you've, if you learn nothing from me, all my guests will tell you it's got to be food plus one. Exactly right. It does. Right, it, 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 right now, and so you're obviously playing in that space. Um, to, I'm kind of curious, before we get into our, our main topic, which is you know, specifically um, you know, how you franchise and kind of how you're expanding, tell me a little bit what you're seeing in terms of trends right now in the restaurant space. Yeah, no, it's a big topic overall. I think that you looked at, I think that, you know, we hit it on a second ago. I think that people are looking for function. They're looking for purpose. They look, there's, uh, you know, with the economy, they're looking for value. Uh, they're looking for, you know, speed of service. Um, uh, they're starting to look for experience once again, where a lot of it was, you know, you're, you've seen people start to go back into restaurants. Um, are you seeing foot traffic up? Uh, foot traffic is up flat right now. Still flat. Okay. It's been up mostly. It's been up the year. We'll count positive uh, system wide um, on all on all platforms. Um, uh, but this time, but I should say, basically, it's flat year over year. Maybe up a little bit. Um, but the guest counts and the guest counts are, are tricky just because it's you know it's the ordering mechanism has changed so much. Oh yeah, it's hard to track now, right? Yeah. Oh, we go in the stores and be lines out the door and so forth. You know, now we have so many orders through our app and uh, through our DSPs, such as DoorDash, Postmates, and things like that. You know, at some points it can make up over 50 percent of the sales, um, which is a tremendous amount of revenue. A tremendous. Yeah, I mean, it's not the number one metric you use now. It used to be, right? You look at foot foot traffic and you understand how well everything is 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 going in the marketplace. Yeah, and before in our space, it was easy to identify different things. Meaning, for a while, it was a cleanse. You probably remember that years ago. There was like a rage that, you know, and we'd have people busting down the doors January first. You know, and we, <laughs> we along and we, with that new gym membership, exactly right. And so, uh, and so we, you know, we we don't we see people still doing the cleanse, but it certainly isn't what it is. And so for us, we believe it's more of a lifestyle shift, just small changes. If you could just eat 10% better, you know, if you eat 2,500 calories a day, if you could swap out 250 calories to be just a little bit healthier, just little baby steps, maybe that turns into, you know, 15%, 20%, and then, you, you know, it becomes authentic to you. Because I just don't believe that you know, these dramatic shifts, you know, even a cleanse for that matter, I can cleanse for three days or 10 days, but, you know, I'm going to in and out the next day after that, and I'm probably back. Exactly. Back yeah, the, you're, you're, I think what you got, what you're really pointing to is that you really want to inspire people to have a holistic, healthy lifestyle. And I understand you guys are going through some um, changes, you know, inside the restaurant too, kind of changing the look and the vibe to kind of increase that experience, maybe to kind of drive that point home 
a little bit more. Can you talk a little bit about how you're building uh, loyalty, though, with that foot traffic? Because you want that experience. You want them to come back. What's your overall strategy or, or uh, thought? Loyalty makes up a, you know, a huge uh you know, portion of our, our business and our guests and our insights and things like that. And a guy named John Asher, who is our CMO, uh, took this head on in 2016. And, uh, you know, we were way ahead of the curve, at least in our space. And, you know, he started in 2016 and, uh, you know, we had basically zero users or maybe 10,000 at the time. And fast forward to today and we're at, I think over 1.3 million, you know, users on our app. Uh, we're going through a, uh, a very large uh, upgrade, meaning we're developing a very interactive app that will have AI components, tracking components, easy ordering systems. You know, it'll be, let's say that you order juice, I order smoothie, and automatically it can figure out in itself. You may get a text or an email or an alert on your phone or whatever it may be, you know, for, you know, if you're, a, again, if you're a juice, you're going to juice and maybe protein things. If I'm a bowl guy, I'm going to get some sort of bowl plus this sort of offer. So there's a lot of, you know, I can't, uh, I'm not, I love that. I love that. I think, I think that is just, it's so smart to do that. And of course, with all the new, you know, technology that is built in phones, you've got a lot of other marketing, you know, uh, opportunities when people walk by, they get close, there's all kinds of things you can do to, you know, get their attention and keep driving that uh, loyalty. Um, I'm curious, I've seen this discussed, and I don't know if this is something that you want to discuss or even try to uh, approach. Have you? What's your opinion on dynamic pricing? I know we didn't really discuss that ahead of time, but do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, you know, there's been a lot of discussion about that lately. Um, we've looked at it. We actually had a, a large, um, you know, Ernst & Young type marketing firm do an analysis on what they felt it would do in our space on the whole dynamic pricing, because we certainly have products that the cost of goods is low. We have other products that cost of goods is high. And for whatever reason, you know, we charge the same price. Uh, we have different times of the day. We have different, you know, regions. And so, you know, they came back and they're, you know, in our space anyway, there wasn't really a strong push, you know, for us to go to dynamic pricing. The only, only pricing uh, modifications that we make are uh, for our franchise partners, we have four different levels of tiers of pricing. Um, for me, we're in California as an example. We obviously have, or I shouldn't say obviously, but I think it's probably pretty clear to most people that we have the highest you know, labor costs, construction costs, operational costs. Yet, you know, as a CEO, I've always demanded that we remain on the tier one and the lowest pricing simply based on the idea that the guest is the most valuable asset. I'd rather keep that guest coming and coming and coming. And we've seen occasionally have franchise partners that will sort of step on the limb and I'll see them raise their prices, you know, much more than I'd recommended, but I can only limit them so far. And sure enough, you'll start seeing the guest counts come down and, you know, you get into a soft economy, it's tough to get those guests back. So, uh, I've been, I've been more of the believer of keep it affordable, keep it accessible, keep the repeat guests and give them value. Yeah. The, the where I've seen, I think the most success is when you're looking at, hey, busy times, sometimes you can, you know, flex up a little bit. And of course, when times are slower, you know, you can offer more discounts. So that to me, you know, seemed like a, a, a good um, compromise. But you guys are, are looking at that. I was just kind of curious because it's kind, well, of, a hot, and, and kind of a hot topic. No, and, and I do think that there are there are 
you know, more simplistic ways to, to do it in the sense of uh, $5 Friday and things of that nature. But I think Correct. that uh, you can get a little bit too, for us anyway, when we've done any testing on it, you get too complicated or somebody felt that they got ripped off because they paid this one that should have paid that at this time, you know, and all that kind of stuff. You get chargebacks. And That's the problem. We're more a quick service type thing, like a Starbucks. If all of a sudden you had dynamic pricing in Starbucks and it costs you more at nine o'clock than it did at noon, you know, there could be some issues. So. Look, I, I know you've got a lot of, uh, you know, practical wisdom that I, I want to try to pull out of you um, before we get into, you know, how you approach franchise sales. Um, if you do you have like just a couple key kind of life learnings from growing this business over the past, you know, 10, 12 years? You know, I and I don't know if it applies to this space or really any space for that matter. But, you know, when young entrepreneurs or otherwise come to me and ask, whether it be about a franchise or whether it be about any business for that matter, you know, the first thing I'll say, which you've heard a lot of people say is, you know, block out the white noise, you know, a lot too many people ask too many people's opinions, you know, uh, uh, people go out there and they talk to their friends and this, and whether it be envy or whether it be just a negative, negative attitude, and they find that to be a reason to opt out of what their opportunity is. Um, so I think people have to, you know, block out that white noise um, they have to be willing to act. I mean, you just got to, you know, uh, there's nothing wrong with failure. And I've failed plenty of times, but it's never crossed my mind. I've never, you know, not once uh, in all the years I've been in business, uh, you know, when I've, say, lost it all in company, just, I'll just get back up on that pony and, you know, ride it again. You just have that mindset though, right? And and I've discussed that here too. Failure or fail is first attempt in learning. And my other big philosophy is act, learn, adjust. And that is definitely what you're you know putting out there. Yeah. And, and I do agree with that. And, and it takes a certain mindset and it takes a certain constitution to have that personality, I suppose, to do it. Um, but the other thing I think that people really get misguided on is you know, passion and motivation, so to speak, in the sense of, you know, do what you're passionate about and the money will come, you know, and a simple example is this, you know, I'm, I uh, just turned 60 last year, you know, when I was 15 years old, do you think my dream was to make smoothies and juices at 60 or at 50 started juicing? It smoothies? wasn't? <laughs> I know you find me in front of that surprise. No, not, it might have been, but I'm just it saying was- it was how many more lawns can I cut because I want to buy this new bicycle or something? I don't exactly know. Exactly right. I was mowing lawns and I was going to 7-Eleven and getting big gulps and Snickers and things of that nature. And, so uh, base- and tops, uh, the latest Topps uh, baseball card pack. Exactly right. And so I think, yeah, and what I mean by that is that, you know, you hear, oh, uh, find what you're passionate about and the money will come. And the, the passion isn't the end result. The passion is the journey. You know, it's the people, you know, there's, but nothing I've been more passionate about than Nectar, but it really has nothing to do with, yes, it's nice that we're selling. I love selling a product that's good and healthy for the community and giving back to the community, but it's the people, it's the everyday, it's the whole process and the journey. And I've got, I've got a lot of friends that are former, you know, uh, 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 big, t- you know, professional hockey players, football players, and, and basketball players that are friends of mine. And I've asked them the same thing. And, you know, when they look back at their careers, they don't miss the Sunday afternoon and 70,000 people in the stand or 15,000 at the hockey game. They miss the camaraderie, the practice, the, the teamwork, the, just the process they go through every single day. It's all about the process. It's not that, you know, the result is all that hard work paid off. And that's sort of the, you know, the excitement of it all. But, um, uh, and so I think that uh, people really have to understand that uh, if, if they're looking simply to make money, 
um, which I think money is important. Uh, and the end result has to, you know, provide an income for you. But if you're, uh, if all you want to do is make money, and I meet entrepreneurs all the time, I'll drive down 17th Street. And if I see a concept they like, I'll go and sit down and call them up and say, hey, we'd like to have breakfast. And not to drone on a little bit, but I'll give you a really quick story. No, please do, because I'm not even familiar with the 17th Street. <laughs> well, right, no, I, I'm on 17th Street right here. So right up oh, back, okay. two cars going by. But anyway, this, uh, this, uh, guy had a new sandwich concept and he had about three or four stores and um and looked a little interesting so i sat down and had coffee with him i said you know i'm sure i'm paraphrasing the story but i said what's your goal and he said my goal is to get it to 15 and he was about late 20s i want to say maybe 30 and he said my goal is to get it to 13 15 stores as fast as possible sell it for 10 million dollars retire and as soon as he said that i knew that i had zero interest in investing zero interest in being involved in it and he never was going to make it, and he did. And he has. I mean, he's still got a few stores lingering out there. But um, but the other entrepreneurs that I see that uh, tell me a different story, uh, you see different results. This guy's motive was wrong. Well, I think they, you know, I think what happens is I think it's not coming from an authentic place. I don't think. Right. Um, I think that when things get difficult, you're not willing to make the various sacrifices. You know that. Uh, that you should or you would, meaning that, say, when we first started Nectar, you know, the first several years, six o'clock on a Sunday morning, I might be running around to all the organic markets picking up coconut water because we've run out. And to me, that was exciting. That was fun. I really enjoyed it. But if I've got a business that's kind of doing okay or I don't really love it, am I really going to get up at six o'clock and do it? Am I going to, I'll, I'll get that, you know, I'll get it later on. So uh, it takes a certain commitment, it takes a certain constitution and, um, and it has to be for the right reasons and come from an authentic place, I think. Yeah, because people can see right through it, as you did. I mean, you totally – I mean, this whoever this person was, unfortunately, they, they let a good opportunity kind of literally just kind of walk by because who knows what what benefits you, know, you could have offered to them. Let's talk about how you approach franchise sales because I said at the top – you know, you've got, it looks like 150 stores in development. You're in 22 states. I'm pulling for Georgia at some point. Uh, not so subtle plug. Uh, let's talk about your, your approach. When we started Nectar in 2010, uh, you know, we had the one location and organically went to a second and then a third and a fourth and a fifth. And, you know, from the very beginning, we got a lot of franchise inquiries and, and requests. But, you know, uh, Alexis and I at that time just, we were worried about the brand integrity, the culture, the quality of the product. It was our name on it. We took it very personally. Uh, we also didn't know whether it could, is a regional brand or a national brand. We just actually, we didn't even really know what the name brand really meant, frankly, at that time. Um, and so we got to the point where we had about 13 locations and it was 2012. And so we had gotten so many franchise inquiry requests. I don't know how many, but a ton. Um, and so we decided to award six franchise agreements and we decided to do it, uh, award those six and then sit on it for two years, uh, not award a single more fran not a single other franchise. And the reason for that was I find it to be a very iterative relationship in, the, in that, you know, it's, uh, you know, how are they going to react to us? How are we going to react to them? Are they going to carry the culture? Are they going to carry the products? Are we going to be able to support them? Are they going to get value for what we're providing to them or not? Um, uh, you know, a lot of things along those lines. And I also thought that, heck, we've only been at two, three years. We've only, 
you know, I have 13 stores. What system am I really selling that, that, uh, that values or is warranted for me to receive, you know, six or 8% of, you know, the gross sales. Um, so I thought we had some work to do. So we did that from 2012 to 14. Uh, it ended up, uh, we, to our surprise, we found out that the franchise partners, frankly, ran the stores better than the corporate stores. They were more profitable. Uh, the, uh, the culture was terrific because they were hands-on and really knew their team, their team members and their partners, where all of a sudden you get too big from a uh, corporate perspective and you lose touch with knowing everybody's name, so to speak, with stores all over the place. Uh, so in 2014, we took those learnings. We spent the year developing our franchise model and then rolled it out in uh, late 14, 15. Um, and when we did that, I was very, again, I was very specific in how I wanted to do it. While we had inquiries from all over the country, I wanted to keep it in the Southwest. So we're in Southern California, Arizona, uh, you know, uh, Texas, uh, you know, along the Sun Belt and so forth. So if I got a request from, you know, Boise or St. Louis or, you know, Minneapolis or Philadelphia at that particular time, I, we just simply would say at this time we're not doing it. And the reason for that is I think sometimes you see franchise partners, you see a couple in our space do it, where they have sort of a shotgun approach. And next thing you know, they've got one franchise partner in Boise and one in Phoenix and one in St. Louis. And to me, you're not getting any, you know, where's the brand awareness? How can corporate, if you're in, say, North Carolina, where you are today, how can you support somebody in Idaho the cost to fly a team out there to train, to go out there on a quarterly basis and work with them and cross-functional and to get the, uh, the uh, consolidation of, you know, the cost of goods and things of that nature. It just didn't make any sense to me to go ahead and do, do that. The only time I think it makes sense to me is if you're in a, you know, uh, uh, you know, in a race for real estate, say in a foot in a sandwich or a fast casual pizza concept, and you just have to get that space. But in our space, I thought that was uh, very detrimental. I've seen some competitors do it. I don't understand it. And I've seen a lot of their stores fail. So uh, we did that for the first great number of years. And then just over the last couple of years, started going into other states. And now we're in about, you know, 22 states, I'd say. You, you bring up something kind of interesting. You talk about the brand awareness. If there was a state that you identify that you really wanted to get into and you're bringing in the first franchiser, would they be able to operate at a, um, I don't want to use the word discount, but to get into the system versus the 10th or the 12th store that you've already built the brand awareness. So that, you know, 10th uh, new store that comes in is riding the wave of everyone else that built it up. Has that ever, is that even a, a thing, a concept? No, it's a, it's a big thing. And you hit directly on something. And I'll give you an example. If we're going to go into, let's say you're going to start a, let's say that you're going to be a franchisee in Atlanta <laughs> for the sake of our- Now we're talking. Now we're talking, right? And our franchise fee is about $35,000. Okay. Uh, and I've instructed our, our our team that, you know, I expect that $35,000 to be reinvested directly into that Atlanta market. What I want to see is three stores in that area as soon as possible. And the only way we can do it is by making that franchise partner successful. And the only way we can make that franchise or help that franchise partner be successful is through brand awareness, getting on radio, getting on TV, getting press releases, getting a street team out in the field, running promotions, uh, you know, every, every, you know, thing in the sun to go ahead and do it. And, you know, when we've done that, the uh, acceleration of that franchise partner and his multi-unit growth accelerates exponentially 
because you're right. You go into right now. We have 30 stores, give or take 30 locations in Phoenix. You know, I could open up a store and I barely have to send t- 10 cents and they'll know who I am and where we are and things of that nature. I go to Atlanta. They don't know who the hell I am. And uh, and a lot of these when I was referring to these other franchise groups, sometimes they're using that 35,000 as uh, you know a means of operations you know they, they don't have the capital and so they're using the the, the franchise fees as it's their, like income uh, versus like you're income. making as investment no i look at it as investment so i don't right, i don't right. tie that to our projections on profitability i tie that to reinvesting in the community yeah i love that i love that um i imagine that you're also seeking out like-minded entrepreneurs you know that are also kind of focused on that brand mission right that that share mm-hmm. kind of your same passion yeah, no, I, I think people have to share the, the the passion, you know, for health and wellness in the community. That doesn't mean they have to be able to run a marathon or anything. It just means that, you know, that's, you know, something that they believe in. And uh, one of the other things that we learned that uh, that I didn't touch on earlier uh, when we we're going through part of this testing phase was, you know, that too many brands uh, don't go far enough in the, pro- in the proof of concept. You know, as an example, we went into Denver, wind in Dallas, you know, all these locations we're talking about. We went in with corporate locations. You know, is it fair for me to ask you to spend, you know, your life savings and then go to a market that we've never been to? We don't know anything about. It's cold. It's you know, uh. so. Therefore, you know, we went into Denver, and sure enough, Denver. You know, you think on a Sunday snowing when the Broncos are playing that sales will be soft. You know, that store reopened up in 2012 and first year did over a million dollars. I think it's done over a million dollars. You know, since then every year, and now we've expanded and grown the market. And what we also found was. That we're, you know, you're talking about our AUVs. Our AUVs are probably about two hundred thousand dollars more than, you know, any of the other buddy, anybody else in our space. But the reason for that is we're more of a lifestyle brand. Our season starts January first, kind of like you referred to the gym memberships, and right? Health and wellness that kicks off January first, where the traditional brands are more in the yogurt, ice cream type cat or viewed in that category. Their season kicks off usually spring break, go spring break goes to Labor Day, and then soft from there. So. Uh, so going to these areas such as Texas, going to these areas such as uh, 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 Colorado and otherwise, I think was an important uh, test for us to see if there's something that could ha- could 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 you know go in the flyover states and and uh, be national. Yeah, that really just makes sense that you go in and kind of warm or market up. I think that would put people at ease to know that you know you're putting your own uh, money, time, you know, reputation on the line as well to as you say, kind of warm it up. I, you know, I, I love that. Um, something else that you mentioned to me, uh, maybe, could, could you explain what you mean by um, uh, transparency? Well, there's a few things. One is, you know, when we talk about franchising in general, one of the things that you'll see, and you see in the market, anybody could look it up, and it doesn't matter the industry. It could be our space. It could be, you know, fitness, health, wellness. It could be anything really. And you could look at the corporations or franchisors and find out how many locations they have. And quite often, you'll find them, they'll have, say, one to three to, say, five franchise loca- uh, corporate locations and the rest to be franchised. Now, if I owned one or two or three in, say, just in Newport Beach, as an example, uh, you know, what learnings does that give me to sell franchises in Houston and Dallas and whatever? I mean, what value does that, you know, 6% and the 2% ad fund and all that kind of, you know, what kind of systems have I really built to justify, you know, 
the ends there. And I just don't think that enough franchise partners think it through enough from that perspective. Now they think, oh, we've done it. We have, you know, processes and systems, but they, by that they usually mean they have ordering platforms, meaning for cost of goods or labor metrics or whatever. But, you know, we've got, we still have over 30 something corporate stores and we'll test everything in our corporate stores before we go, uh, you know, to our franchise partners, I'm going to test on ourselves first. I don't want to put them at risk. And you also got to understand that, you know, different DMAs have different requirements, meaning that what somebody desires in Newport is slightly different than what they, you know, uh, what they desire in Houston. So when we do our marketing calendar, we have a national marketing calendar, of course, but we also have a, a regional DMA that covers each DMA because and that and the contribution to that meaning of that is that the franchise partners in that region have a conference call with our marketing team to determine, hey, what is their guest looking for? What are the needs? What are the franchise partners? And we try and develop, you know, messaging uh, and or products that fit into that uh, into that DMA. I mean, for the most part, everybody has the exact same, almost the exact same menu items, but the messaging, you know, or education might be a little bit different. So maybe I, I can't, I shouldn't be looking for barbecue then when you come to Georgia. <laughs> no, don't look for a barbecue smoothie or something like that. <laughs> maybe I'll say yeah, that, uh, that one didn't make it out of the lab, did it, Steve? Yeah. So as far as transparency, and, and your initial question was the transparency part. And yeah. I think that transparency goes to the ingredients. It goes to our corporate location. You know, I've always had, say, an open door policy, you know, sort of glass door, glass office. People come in anytime they want. Um, there's no task too big or small for me or for anybody else. So our belief is we all, you know, pitch in. Um, we're clear on and transparent to anybody and everybody. And, uh, you know, even when I talk to the competitors, I'm happy to go out to dinner and talk to them and share ideas. And a lot of them I've known quite well. Yeah. I think the vibe I'm getting from you is you just don't want to give a, you know, a canned presentation. You know, you want your brands to be authentic. Uh, so that's really how you're presenting yourself to people that come in that we want to seriously consider this. So you're just going to, you know, just have that, that open dialogue. You just want to make sure that it's a good fit for everybody. I mean, that, that makes sense because you're going to end up putting a lot of time and money behind the, the wrong people and you just can't afford to do it. Not with as many moving parts as you have right now in this organization. No, and I certainly will be, you know, transparent and raw and unfiltered and some language will be used that may be appropriate <laughs> for this podcast. Uh, <laughs> I have the, a, a mute button if you need to let a few things out. <laughs> no, that's all right. Um, I I love that we've we've really covered a lot of ground here in a pretty short period of time, Steve. As we start to wrap up, is there anything that you wanted me to ask that I just didn't get around to? You know, you've asked a lot of you know good and insightful and interesting questions that I think people want to know the answers to. You know, I think that uh, if it's a potential franchise, e not just necessarily for Nectar, but for anybody, I think they ought to look at. You know, the franchise, uh, franchisor, how many locations they have, um, what they're really getting from the franchise partner, um, uh, really run the metrics and, and understand why they're getting into that business. You know, are they getting into the business because they think it's going to make money? Are they getting into the business because they think it's something they're passionate about? Uh, is it something they could, you know, is it something that they could scale? I mean, you could start with one Nectar franchise and, yeah, you're going to do well. But we have, you know, say a group in uh, in the in the Empire of California. They've got I think sixteen locations open. They just signed for fifteen more, and they've got a huge multi million dollar operation, multi million dollar EBITDA. 
you know, and so it depends on what, and so sometimes people look at it too isolated. I, I would hope that- Yeah, too narrow. Too narrow. And I think that people should look at it and say, okay, hey, do I want one? Do I want three? You know, what am I really looking for in my life and the change and the style? And then, you know, do your due, due diligence and, uh, you know, again, whether it be with us or fitness or anything, uh, just do your due diligence to make sure that you culturally fit with that company and they share your same same beliefs. Yeah, I think with as many stores that you are now currently are operating and with all the different partners you have, I think anyone could come in and they want to go from a, you know, a zero to a five store or they've got a bigger vision. You probably have enough people throughout the whole system really to give those stories and to give that, you know, practical advice. I think that's what's unique, you know, about trying to go through you would be that, you know, you've already got you've got this platform built. We've got the platform, we've got the system, we know that it works. We've got the franchise partners that are more than happy to help others, you know, achieve their success in their multi-unit uh, group. So if somebody wants to do it, say, in Atlanta, and they've got 16 stores in the empire, you know, they'd love to see somebody else be successful because, again, you know, it, uh, it helps everybody. And uh, there's nothing better than uh, hearing, you know, we have so many success stories and so many different stories from so many different you know, regions, it's, uh, it's fun to hear. I mean, it's taken on a life of its own at this point. You know, I, so I think the, uh, it's like, you know, watching your kids grow up, you know, it's like, look what they're accomplishing. Look what they're helping other people do. It, it's gotta be a very rewarding feeling. I'm going to be, um, traveling to Tennessee. I don't know that I'm going to be making it up to Knoxville, but I want to say y'all have some stuff up in Knoxville. I thought up in that area. Ooh, Tennessee Ted, he's a terrific guy. Uh, I'm going to have to swing in. I'm just, just going to have to give this thing. Two weeks ago, and uh, and actually, he's I, I own a house down in Cabo, and he's going to use it uh, for his honeymoon here in a couple months. Very nice. And uh, he's a terrific guy, and we'll be opening some stores in uh, Nashville in the not too distant future. So, oh, I like it, Tennessee Ted. I'm coming your way. There you um, go, Steve. I really appreciate you taking time out to. Um, we did kind of a flyby. I think I think I wanted to pull a lot of information from you. I think it's been um, it's been very eye opening, and um, appreciate you again making time out, checking out your new podcast studio. For those of you, this is an audio only podcast. He's got a beautiful studio. You're gonna you're, you're forced to me to up my game. Yeah, there you go. exactly. Yeah, gonna have to step this up. We're gonna have to move out of the um, uh, vacation rental and get back into the Georgia <laughs> market <laughs> so I can get back to my normal studio. Exactly. And if I get back your way, I'll make sure to look you up and we'll go grab a drink or something. Absolutely. I would love that. Uh, Steve, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, Tony, really appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of the day, rest of the week and enjoy the holidays.